Am I on? There we go. We're going to have to go with this, brothers. Testing, one, two, three. It's always a great way to start a sermon, right? With mic trouble. Really creates the atmosphere and makes me anxious. <laughs> What's going to happen this entire time that I'm up here? I don't know, but the Lord does. And so here's what is going to happen today. We're going to talk about anxiety. I'm going to put this down in case it's a feedback problem. And we're going to talk about what the solution to anxiety is. But I've got to confess, coming into this text, I'm blessed to teach it and to expound it and to, first of all, be subject to this text for my own soul. I can confess that I am an anxious person. Sometimes I think like I've managed it and kind of compartmentalized my life in their own little areas so well that anxiety doesn't get me as easily as it used to. But the reality is it doesn't take much for anxiety to raise its ugly head in me. And it's usually very visible when it does. Perhaps you are an anxious person this morning and you've come here and you would say similarly as I have just said and as Jake said in his prayer this morning that you are an anxious person and that you need help today. Maybe your anxiety has revealed some other things in you. Maybe you're a person who snaps at others or gets angry. Maybe you're a person who withdraws. Maybe you make foolish decisions with finances. Or maybe you don't see a way out because anxiety is like a cloud that hangs over you all day, every day. So I hope in this time this morning to address some root issues of anxiety. I want to say right out, off the bat, I, I, I don't have the cure for every evidence of anxiety in your life. But Jesus here addresses the core issue. And he gets us back to a pathway, no matter where you are right now, with whatever level of anxiety you have, to submit yourself again and to see the hope that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the title of this sermon is Anxiety or Ambition? And really, it's, it's an interesting question because if you think about it, when you are anxious, it's usually because you want something and you're not certain if you can get it. And what you do is you try harder or you m mitigate some of the risk so that you can get what you're fearful or anxious of not getting. See, anxious people are really ambitious people but their ambition is aimed at the wrong direction, and it's prioritized on the wrong things. And what I have for you this morning is this basic theme. You can fight anxiety, but you could do it with godly ambition. That might surprise you because you may not think about ambition as a necessarily good thing. And ambition can get you in a lot of trouble if by being ambitious, and pursuing a goal, you hurt people or you shove them out of your way. But ambition can be a godly thing if it's aimed at the right things. And actually having ambition for God's priorities 
delivers us from a lot of the anxieties that we have in this life. And so, in order to get there and to talk through that this morning, we do need to address the problems with anxiety. I'm going to do that first of all, give you some truth to fight anxiety, and then reprioritize us on godly ambition. Those are my three points. That's where we're going. And so, if you take notes, let's begin first with the problems with anxiety. All right, the text before us is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 down to verse 30. Three, uh, 34. It should, you know, it seems like it should have ended with 33. But then Jesus says this weird thing in verse 34. We'll get to that in a little bit about why he says that. I, I, I tend even visually to overlook it, kind of take it out, but we can't. We've got to leave it in. Because he says there in verse 34 what he has said two other times in the text already. Think about this for a minute. The Lord commands us three times in this passage with the same order. Do not be anxious. Verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34. So I think the main thing he's telling us in this passage is do not be anxious. That's a command. Think about this for a minute. If it's a command, then anxiety is something we're not to do then it's probably not a good thing. And here's what I want to talk through at first, in the first place this morning. Anxiety may be a sin. Now, I, I said it that way, and I actually changed it. Last night around midnight, that slide said, anxiety is a sin. But I started to think about it a little bit. And I went home and I checked with some pastors and theologians that were a little bit wiser and older than me. And I realized that I was being maybe unnecessarily, unnecessarily dualistic, thinking you're either this or that, and there's really nothing that goes on in between those two spheres. But in the reality, sometimes anxiety can be something that is just a part of life. Now, why do I say that? The Apostle Paul, in the book... Um, it wasn't the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks about his own anxieties. The, the verse is escaping me. I didn't put it in my notes, but I do remember what he said. He said, on top of everything else that I'm bearing in my pursuit of God's agenda for me and for you is my anxiety for all the churches. The Apostle Paul experienced some anxiety. We can experience anxiety about things, you know, in terms of you know, what the future might hold, or concerns for our loved ones, you know, what, what mom hasn't said to her kids, be careful, even if they're just driving down the road to get a jug of milk. You know, the, the order from the mom usually comes from their concern. And on the one hand, anxiety can be framed as a concern. But anxiety at its root, when you think about it in the New Testament, describes a pulling or a twisting and yanking you as far as the stretching point in opposite directions. An anxious person feels torn. An anxious person feels twisted up. An anxious person feels pulled. And it's difficult for them to bring those feelings, those thoughts back under the control of something solid and, and good and true. And 
The reality is, with Jesus saying this three times, do not be anxious, he's focused on helping people avoid the pitfalls of anxiety. A genuine concern or even a legitimate fear can morph into sinful anxiety very quickly. And it's more than just a minor annoyance. It, in fact, is a sin problem that we need to address. That goes against popular thinking about anxiety. As a matter of fact, I'm sure many of you here would think, you know, even saying anxiety is a sin, and that in some cases it may be, you know, a a root problem of sin in your life may sound unnecessarily harsh. I read an article on msn.com last night that says this, we have bought into a false perspective on anxiety that you should never have it. Anxiety is natural and a normal reaction to stress, danger, or something new. And this is what David Rossmarin, founder of the Center for Anxiety, said. I have no idea what that is. I don't recommend it. Um, I didn't research who this fellow is, but I saw what he was saying, and I'm just interacting with it. We can have this idea that anxiety is just a normal reaction to things. It's a part of life. And instead of overcoming it, or instead of putting it in its right perspective, we just have to learn to kind of live with it. And then the secret to it is learning to kind of put it in its place and just have it there with you all the time. You know, I think we need to look a little bit deeper about what Jesus says here. I want you to look down at verse 30. Jesus identifies anxiety as ultimately a lack of belief in God. Verse 30 says, If God so clothes the, feet, the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, the problem that you and I have with anxiety goes deeper than just simple worry or just obsession over little things Jesus tells us that the root of anxiety is the failure to believe God. I know that sounds like really bad news, but if you go to the doctor's office and the doctor tells you that you have cancer, on the one hand, that's not good news. You don't want to hear that. But on the other hand, you do want to hear it because in knowing it, there's something that you can do about it. If it wasn't discovered, if the doctor didn't know about it, you would continue on as if nothing was really bad, but then you would have no opportunity to address it and to get hope and help. Jesus is similar in the way that he diagnoses what's going on in our own hearts. Jesus will address something with a particular purpose, not so that we will just be exposed and have more trouble. Jesus brings it up with the intent to correct and to set us on the right direction. You see, you and I need to reckon where we have had anxieties that have turned into crippling fears or have morphed into sinful responses based on feelings that have overwhelmed us that have ended up by those feelings turned into actions that have hurt other people. We need to recognize that anxiety is not just at that moment some feeling that's come under or come on us, but that is something that we have submitted to and are responding to in an act of worship 
instead of an act of worshiping the true God. We need to recognize anxiety can be a sin. You know, sometimes when I would hear this, um, as a younger person, as a younger man, I'd be sitting where you are, and I would be thinking about the anxieties that I had in those days, about how I would pay for school, or how I would find a wife, and then I would hear a preacher preach like I am right now, saying that anxiety is a sin. And what I would inevitably do was go home that night and lie awake in bed feeling anxious about my anxiety. What I want to do this morning is relieve you of that tendency of an anxious person becoming anxious about their anxiety. I've talked with people who have been in that situation, and I know that continues to plague a certain type of person. So I'm, I'm running the risk of talking to some of the room this morning, and maybe not all of you. I know there are people here who maybe would say, I'm never anxious. You might find that if you continue in that direction, your pride and dependence on yourself may crash and cause a type of anxiety that you didn't expect. Something may come. But for those of you who are very scrupulous and who tend to look down inside yourselves and think deeply about your anxiety and maybe become fearful of your anxiety, it's possible even to become fearful that you will be anxious and anxious about becoming anxious. Now, that's possible. I've been there. And the answer is not to dive deeper into your own tendency to sin. The answer is to go where Jesus goes and to find the hope and the help that there is good news for you, even when you are tempted to feel anxious. But we have to learn what Jesus further diagnoses anxiety to be. It may be a sin. And Jesus said it's definitely prioritizing the wrong things. Verses 25 and 26 give some categories to us. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus mentions these three things, food and drink and clothing. These are essential attributes. These are things that we need. These are the necessities of life. Jesus in this text never negates that. He says we need food and we need drink and we need clothing. These things keep us alive. People in this time period would have worried where the next meal might come from. Now, we don't tend to worry that we're not going to get the next meal. And I, I'm fearful that, you know, we might read something like the Lord's Prayer, give me this day my daily bread, and just find that that's an anachronism of the past and really not relevant to where we are. If we want bread, we just go to Kroger and buy a loaf. But what Jesus is teaching us is to develop a dependence on God, to recognize that priorities in our life are off when we do not yield ourselves daily to God and find our hope and our life and our, hope, our help in Him. Yesterday, these priorities were right in front of me um, as my family was watching the UT game. I'm sad for UT. It's not a great game. I'll just say that publicly. Um, that initial touchdown, though, was amazing. Wow. But as I was watching, the priorities of the world came out in the commercials during that game. I felt left out and hungry when I saw the hip young people smiling and eating Taco Bell together. I wondered how it would be to drive a new Chevy truck 
But if I wrecked it, I knew I would have Aflac or Liberty Insurance to help me out of trouble. But it made me realize the more stuff I tend to get, the more I need to ensure that I can keep it. Do you realize that that's where our, our commercials point us constantly? Get this stuff, and it's usually in the categories of like food and drink, clothing, cars, and insurance. And then medicine for anxiety. <laughs> Do you wonder why we see this train of commercials coming on our TVs all the time? It's because as Americans in this time period, we may not be worried about the next loaf of bread that's coming, but we're caught in a pattern of materialism that continues to sow into our consciences the, the lie that we need more and we have to get it and then we have to keep our hands tightly wrapped around it lest we lose it. That life is just this delicate balance of getting as much as you can and holding on tight so you can keep it. That's what I think Jesus and his counsel here in verses 25 and 26 down to verse 30 really deal with. Look at what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And let me skip down to verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus calls the, the original audience's attention to perhaps what they could observe as they were out in the field that day, as they were there on the mount. Birds and wildflowers. This is where Jesus lived. When he walked around, he took time to breathe in the air, to notice creation, and to remember an important principle that God is in absolute control. This is my Father's world. You see, these are the promotions that Jesus gives. Here's a brief commercial from Jesus. Look at the birds. Consider the wildflowers. These are things that point you in the direction of God's absolute control and give you a chance to breathe and to once again be refreshed in the midst of anxieties that encroach upon you and press on your heart and reveal a heart that would choose to not view God, but to pursue reckless pursuits for things and priorities that are not God's priorities. You know, during COVID-19, I started a garden. I think about half of America did. Why? I think there were, there were a lot of insecurities during that time about where our food would come from. You remember the, the news reports and pictures and articles about grocery shelves that were empty, how you couldn't get in there and buy certain types of meat or vegetables or toilet paper? What an existential crisis that turned out to be. But I started a garden because I was anxious about where food might come from for my family. And I started to be afraid. Well, what if we get to a place where we can't get to stores? So I started a garden. But you know what? I compounded my anxiety during that year because I didn't realize that food takes a long time to grow. And you can't just plant 
a few vegetable seeds and expect those things to pop up. And you especially can't just plant them with really no care or attention to them. I bought a nice raised bed. I put it in a place where I thought it might get a, a fair bit of sun. I didn't want to waste space in there for flowers. And what happened was, basically, I didn't get any returns or no really noticeable returns. And the thing that I was anxious about really didn't get fixed. And I didn't really submit any of that to the Lord. I didn't go to him in the process and say, Lord, you know, I know that my daily bread comes from you and the vegetables that grow in my garden will come from you and that anything that comes out of this is going to come from you. Instead, I looked at other gardens that people planted and thought mine should look like that. I looked at shows that featured nice gardens and I thought, well, certainly that's just going to happen for me. And when it didn't happen, I felt really anxious and sad. And I got a little grouchy, my wife can tell you. My, maybe it happened when I submitted to God and said, God, I want you to forgive me for my anxiety about food. Because here's an example. I wanted to produce something and it didn't turn out like I thought it should. Please forgive me. And then a couple of things happened. Um, we started to buy bird seed. That was at my wife's request. And we put that bird seed out, and the birds would come, eastern bluebirds, robins, sparrows, even a woodpecker. And as we observed those birds, I started to find that it was a relaxing habit, you know, just to stop and look at birds that would come in. I still think it's a waste to buy bird food, but I guess the return comes not in a practical value to me, but in more of a spiritual lesson that I can learn. God teaches me things as I look at the birds. It's not that the birds don't come in and work. They do. They're working hard to get that seed. But at the same time, they sing. They talk to the other birds and tell them where to come. Their activities just seem more carefree. And it was like Jake prayed this morning, that we would be a type of church that's carefree in the care of God. That's like these birds are. One paraphrase of the Bible even says it that way, that the birds are carefree in the care of God. They know that God is at work instinctually. They don't have a great theology worked up about God. They just operate according to what God in his sovereignty and his world has put into them. And they come and they eat and they work hard and they do the next thing that God has programmed into them to do. And they're there for our enjoyment and for us to learn from them. And wildflowers, I never had space in my precious raised bed space to grow flowers. I thought it was a waste. You can't eat most flowers, right? But then when my wife encouraged me to grow more flowers and I actually listened and we started to do that, I noticed that the whole ecosystem of the garden started to change. Bees came. Again, birds were there, spreading pollen around, making things grow better. And it's not that I've gotten a great return on vegetables now. We've gotten a few things. I don't think we're going to survive the apocalypse with the garden that I planted. But it sure has taught me a lot about trusting the Lord. And God wants us to take time to walk around in nature and not say, man, it's beautiful how these things have kind of grown here, but to conclude from the beauty that's kind of grown there, God is in control. God knows what he's doing. 
God cares for the birds and these flowers as beautiful as they are. And the logic here is, if God so clothes the field and so feeds the birds, will he not take care of you? The, the value structure here is, and the good news here is, you guys are more valuable than birds and more valuable than flowers. To God, you are precious, and he will take care of you. We so often forget that, and we forget the promise of Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So in Matthew 6, where the logic was arguing from the lesser birds and flowers to the greater human beings, the lesser you know, the body, more so life. We, we see here the argument is from the greater to the lesser. If God has given us his son, who is glorious and is the greatest gift that he could ever give, how will he not also with him give us these lesser things that we need, right? The food, the clothing, the homes, all of these things that we need for life. See, anxiety takes us away from the practical growth in faith and instead it prioritizes the things that the world prioritizes and essentially there becomes no difference between the church of the living god and the world that rejects that god anxiety should be different within the church and how we address it should be different within the church than the world addresses it and handles it Anxiety also is very impractical, and I, I think Jesus may have smiled when he said this in verse 27. If you look there, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? I've heard that anxiety is as productive as rocking in a rocking chair. You're constantly moving but getting nowhere. Anxiety might even feel to you responsible. It's funny about worriers. We tend to think that our worry is actually the responsible thing to do. We just need to worry more. That way we can be sure that we'll be careful. We can be sure that we're gonna go in the right direction. Right? There's a difference between worry and just being careful. You need to be careful. <laughs> you need to have sense, common sense, but you don't need to be anxious. See, Jesus is not saying, don't be careful. He's not saying, don't be prepared. He's just saying, don't be anxious. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated and controlled and held under the authority of anxiety because you're pursuing wrong things, because you're prioritizing things that will eventually wear out, that will evaporate. Trust instead the living God. Live under his authority. Live under his rule. You know, I, I think it's funny because this verse, verse 27, in other ways, People have had a hard time understanding how to translate it. The ESV says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You might see down there um, a footnote about it, or maybe your Bible says, you know, it, it's not necessarily about a span of life, but about a person's height. The difficulty in it is understanding how a cubit relates to a span of time. You know, a cubit usually measures distance. But if you think about it this way, on our birthdays, we may say, well, I've reached another milestone. 
you know, milestones were a part of our country's distant past that marked miles on the side of the road with stones. But we still say that, maybe not even remembering where that expression comes from. And that's a metaphorical expression. It's like saying, I've reached another place in life. I've come to another accomplishment. I've reached another year. What essentially we mean is we've gotten another year older. Jesus says, which of you, by taking care, can add a single hour to his life? You know, it's, it's funny. I used to think of it this way. Maybe some of you guys are worrying in this way. Which of you, by being anxious, can keep a single hair on your head? Um, it doesn't work. But it's the same kind of logic. You can't, by your anxiety, prevent something from happening, and you can't, by your anxiety, produce something practical. Anxiety is very impractical. Jesus just kind of lays it out for what it is. Don't give in to it because of the nature of it. It's very impractical. Jesus knows that we have limited energy, and he wills for us to aim that energy in worthwhile thoughts and motives. What are those thoughts and motives. Let's look at two truths and then the motives that Jesus points us to. The second main point today, truth to fight anxiety. Truth to fight anxiety. We're in the same text here, but we have to back up and think about something for a moment. Who is it who is speaking to us? It's the Lord Jesus. Jesus is trustworthy. He says, do not be anxious because he's the Lord and shepherd of our souls. So why do I bring this up? Because, again, sometimes we forget that the person speaking has authority to bring about reality in our lives, especially when that person is the maker and former of reality. Well, I spent the first week of November in Jamaica. I had never been there before, but I had heard one of Jamaica's most famous celebrities, Bob Marley, and... He has written a song that you've probably heard before called Three Little Birds. If I say, don't worry about a thing, what would you say? Every little thing is going to be all right. You know, ironically, Bob Marley came to that conclusion watching three birds on his windowsill. People argue and debate about what those three birds symbolize and all that. He's been the authoritative voice of Rasta, philosophy, and counsel for decades, even now after his death. But as much as I like the jive and the sound of Three Little Birds, and that's probably going through your heads right now, I don't trust Bob Marley. Sometimes, every little thing isn't all right, right? Sometimes things are just plain bad. And Jesus, on the contrary, doesn't tell us don't worry about a thing. Every little thing's going to be all right. He doesn't go down that path. Actually, verse 34 is his response to that. You know, we might think, well, Jesus, you could have just left it at seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That would have been a very fitting conclusion. But Jesus in verse 34 says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know what? I, I come to the word of Jesus here, and I see that Jesus is real about life. Jesus doesn't have a superficial view of reality. 
He knows that life is hard. And he tells you, he's like, guys, don't worry about tomorrow. There will be enough trouble to worry about tomorrow. Focus on today. And he's not telling you, just kind of punt your worry to tomorrow. That's not his point. But his point is to prepare you to be real people living in the real world, relying on a real savior. You know trouble is coming. And you can choose right now to align yourself with God and his priorities and his will. And to not be subject to the the worries and the cares that can overwhelm you about the future. And that's, that's really where we tend to live. We are worried about the future and we are very impractical and unhelpful today. It's very spiritual, it's very godly this afternoon. If you're worried about what's coming tomorrow, just to go out and take a walk with your spouse, hold his or her hand, look at the birds, if there are any left here in November. Think about what God is doing in the world and trust him again. And then focus tomorrow on what tomorrow will bring. You see, we need to be people who trust Jesus now and trust that he is trustworthy and that when he tells us something, he is prepared for it. He's already there tomorrow and he is with us today. And we can trust him. As Jake and Matthew and I met over coffee this week to discuss these verses, Jake mentioned an illustration that I'm going to use. He says someone else made it up, so it's okay to use it. It's kind of public domain. But imagine you've met a friend at a restaurant. You're excited to meet up with them. You know, and if it's one of the, it's like Chipotle or Cava or a place like that, you get in the line and you're going to be there for a while and you're talking and you just are excited and catching up. And then you get up to the counter to order And you realize at that moment, I don't have my wallet. I've been there before. But then your friend says to you, it's all right. I've got you. Is that right? Is that what you're supposed to say? I've got you, right? And what does that imply? What does that mean for us? It means that when you get to the register, after you've ordered whatever you're going to order, I'm going to pay for it. Now, you got a choice at that moment. Do you trust your friend or not? Maybe you say, well, you don't know my friend. I may not. Let's consider it. It's a good friend, right? One that you trust. One that you know has been responsible and come through for you in the past. And they'll at least float you the loan or they'll give it to you and just pay for your lunch. When you get to the counter, you go up there to pay because you've trusted all through that process of ordering and getting what you need that when you get to the end, someone's going to be there and helping you. When we hear Jesus say, do not be anxious, it's like him saying, don't worry, I got you. Do you trust him to lead you from one step to the next throughout your life? Well, the second truth is this. Your heavenly Father loves you and provides for you. How much more valuable are you to God than birds and flowers. He says it in the text. And the value structure of God is that he cares for everything in his creation. However, when it comes to you and me, we are his special focus. 
And God the Father loves his children. But I have a question for you. How does God the Father typically provide? Well, there are a couple of things that you and I need to remember. Lest you think that not being anxious means that you just kind of check out and sit back in your chair and wait for God to provide for you, the way that God typically provides is through work. You and I are not given a pass from hard work. And one of the things in the Bible that's very clear is that we as God's people are not to just kind of wait around for God to do something. In most cases, where we are able, we are to work hard. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians verses, chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, why do I bring that into a message about the way God provides? Because normally, the way God provides, and you need to think about this, the work that you have and the pay that you get is God's provision for you. To use a portion of that for what you need, a portion of that to provide for the needs of others, your family, maybe those outside of your family, but to commit a portion of that to God. Now, we're going to have a chance here in a minute to either give an offering in this box Maybe your decision has been to give online, or like Jake said, you may be here and you have no idea why we have a box up here and a box over in the auditorium, and you don't know what Jehovah Jireh even means. The meaning of that is God himself will provide. How does he provide? There's all kinds of ways, but one of the main means is through our work and the ways that we commit to prioritize these things that God says are the daily needs of life clothing, food, drink, home. You know, these are things that God provides through our work, but another way that he provides is through our generosity. The generosity of making sacrifices for other people. The offering that we take today is for the ministry that is a special collection for our kids' ministry buildings and the ministry that is being set up to train the next generation, All right? That's a good thing to give toward. But lest you think that we only ask for you to share and to be generous one time a year, the lifestyle of a person who prioritizes God's kingdom and righteousness, as we'll see in a moment, is a lifestyle of generosity, of someone who is not held captive to the anxieties of getting and holding on to stuff. But it's the lifestyle of someone who has been freed because they have a savior who is real with them and, and that they can trust and who's got them and a loving father who provides for them. I mean, I've been provided for, my family's been provided for by the generosity of others in this church at times when we least expected it. We were working hard, but something came up and people helped us. It could have been their time. It could have been their expertise. One time we had a church member come over to our home 
and look at our income and all of our expenses and help us make a plan to get out of debt. It could be that you are in a position this morning where you need that. You might have been prioritizing some things that have led you into a lifestyle where if, if a person would come and examine your life compared to a believer's life, they, an unbeliever's life, they, they wouldn't really know the difference. It could be that you need some help from someone to help you understand how to take steps to be a kind of generous person that God wills for you to be. Now, I think no matter what happens, do not view this opportunity here this morning as the only opportunity, but maybe your decision today would be to grow in your giving over the course of this year. I think the average is something like, you know, if people give, it's about 1% of their annual income or monthly income. Is that right? We talk about that. That's not much. But I think if we consider all of the goodness of God and what he's provided for us and figure out what our lifestyle needs to be, I'm not saying to be poor. I'm not saying to not buy things that you need. But is your life aimed in the direction so that you're freeing up more of your income, trusting that it's God's wealth, that it's God providing for you, so that you can more regularly give. The church uses that money in a variety of ways, not just to keep up buildings, but to facilitate ministry in people's lives. So maybe your decision today is to not give a one-time offering, but to consider how to free up money so that you can give more regularly and more significantly over the course of this coming year. And finally, just to really briefly summarize, if we're not aiming towards things that cause and lead us toward anxiety, then we do need to reprioritize on godly ambition. Jesus gives us two, God's kingdom and his righteousness. Verse 33 is the basis for this building. You know, we're in the hub it was designed as a student building many, many years ago. And the meeting on Wednesday night is called 633 because of Matthew 633. And here's what it says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This language of seek first is about priorities. Jesus says that the Gentiles, the unsaved world, prioritizes food and drink and clothing and the things that they can get in order to make themselves secure and first. Jesus says the believer, the citizen of his kingdom, his people, God's children, they prioritize God's kingdom and his righteousness. God's kingdom is all about the reign of Jesus spilling out from you into other people's lives so that others will know about Jesus. And in many ways, using your wealth, using your time, using your efforts, using your careers to aim in the direction of making Jesus known, sharing him with other people, and helping people submit to him as Lord and Savior. And his righteousness are the things that we've been learning about. There's no sense in re-preaching them all now. Read again Matthew 5. Read the beginning of chapter 6. This is the righteousness that Jesus is laying out for you. The world needs people who live differently so that, you know, like... Something similar might happen today like it happened when the church first formed in the Roman Empire. There was an emperor who looked out 
at the Christians, and he said, no matter how hard we persecute these people, they turn around and they don't ask anything of us. They use their wealth to take care of their own, and they actually use their wealth to take care of us. This is weird. What we need is an example like that in this culture and time today so that we are noticed by the outside world and they look at the church and they say, no matter how anxious we are and no matter what we do to cause anxiety in that church, they actually continue just to be a people of peace. They spread that peace among themselves and they even help us with our anxiety. That kind of testimony ripples out into the world and it causes God's glory, his kingdom, his righteousness to take center stage where people can say, that's a good God and Jesus is a righteous and a loving king and it gives them the opportunity to bow. So friends, anxiety is not going to disappear like the morning fog by just following a formula of seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. However, it is going to align you with God. And what you will find is that your priorities will begin to change. Your priorities will begin to line up with God's priorities. So it might be that during this time of the offering that we're gonna prepare here in just a moment, and could I ask for the band to come back up and to prepare? They're gonna lead us in a song. And during the time of that song, you have the opportunity, if you choose, to come up and to put your offering in the box here. There's no pressure to do so. And this could be a time just of observing for you, of worshiping, and for all of us, of praying to God, confessing where we have been anxious, where anxiety perhaps has ruled and set the tone of our lives, and then to yield to him and to say to him again, I haven't loved you like I ought and sought the things of God like I ought, but how grateful I am that you are still my Lord. He doesn't say people of no faith. He says, oh, you of little faith. Faith is there. So ignite it. Fan it back into flame by focusing on Jesus and the Father and yielding to them. Let me pray, and then the band will lead us. If you feel led, come up and place your offering in the box during that time, and then we'll close at the end. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace you show us. Jesus, thank you for your tenderness with us anxious people. We, we turn to you and we love you. We want to sing a song of dependence on you now. And I pray that through these things, you would change us and help us to be a people of peace, a people of your kingdom, a people of righteousness. Lead us, Lord. Love us and help us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. Amen.